Today is a bittersweet day. We're going to explain more definitely at the top of the pod that the trajectory of the show is going to change a little bit. We're taking an indefinite hiatus, taking a step away. Our pandemic project is changing. Um, As the world goes back to normal, so do Joshua and I's schedules. And um, we've had so much fun doing this show. And we thank you so much for listening. Um, Well, we're not going to be around as much anymore. Um, So we thought we would do one last banger before we take an indefinite hiatus. And to start the show on an up note, have we picked an instant classic for you. The return of Quentin Tarantino. And we welcome to the show our guests this week, Cliff Booth and Rick fucking Dalton. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to make a special announcement. This is going to be the last episode for a while. A while! This is our pandemic project. And the pandemic's kind of fucking over. And Time other to thing, move on. And we thought there was not a better fucking movie to pick to after we take this this break. We might be back. Something big and exciting happens that sparks our interests. We'll, we'll hop on and give you guys some fun content. But we thought this would be a good time to, to step away. We thank you all for listening, truly and deeply, from the bottom of our hearts. But I don't think there's a better way to send off this era, this pandemic project, the Digest Show, the Middle Brow Podcast about movies, than with a film that has been staring at me for the last year we've been doing this, over your shoulder, the poster for it, in your office. I think a film that you bonds you and I. It's a new film, 2019. Kind of the, kind of the reason we, we started this thing, if you recall, it was talking about this movie on the phone, and we were like, this should be a podcast. Well, we did it. We did. We fucking did. And no better way to say thank you to the inspiration for the show than to end the era with talking about it. So on today's episode, we are deep diving. We're cruising around the strip. We're drinking whiskey sours. We're having epic meltdowns. And we're busting out our flamethrowers. Because on today's episode, we're doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's We're taking it back 69! I can't fucking wait to talk about this movie! Yes! This is instantly when it came out one of my favorite movies of all time. Personally, it's my fucking wheelhouse. It's the yeah. 60s and the music and the style. It's Leo, who's my absolute boy. It's Tarantino, who you're the resident Tarantino fanboy in this family. Yeah, you know. But this style of it is like so much for me. I saw it in theaters three times. I fucking love this movie so goddamn much. It's one of my favorites. I could watch it in the morning. I could watch it in the afternoon. I could watch it at night. I could fall asleep to it. I could YouTube favorite scenes. It's just, it's a hangout movie. It's a buddy movie. It's a cultural retrospective movie. We're going to talk about his skew on history. The soundtrack is might be one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. It's Leonardo fucking DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Margot Robbie. 
Everybody Ow. hammers it. Everybody, Everybody hammers it. No weaknesses. None. Why do you love this fucking movie? Because it's fun, Dan! <laughs> I love this movie because this movie is so much fucking fun, it's dude. So much and fun. It's, 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 it's uh, lyrical. Like, mm. F, like F. Scott Fitzgerald is lyrical in pages. Like, this movie is lyrical. It, it fucking mixes so many things and it just moves. And, and this guy, it's like, you're okay. We get it. Like you're the professor emeritus, Quentin. Like that's what this is. It's like you, you mimic you, you. We get that you know every style of film and film photography. We get it. You get you. You've given us everything, and I can't wait for number ten because who the fuck could even begin to understand what that's gonna be. After you get something like this, because this has got a little of every fucking thing in it. Everything. Every, every time I watch it, I must have seen it like six times now. I think. Yeah, I think, I think, I, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm at six. I mean, there were like two or three in the theaters. I mean, yeah. I could not get enough of this fucking movie. I remember I realized that its its run was ending. And I was like, I gotta go see it again. Like and, I went, and I went to go see it. I worked at three that day and I went. At like the nine thirty showing, I was like, I have to fucking, I have to go see it one more time. Dude. I have to. Uh, yeah, yeah, because you know how long is it gonna be before I can see it again if I don't see it right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I'm still, you know, though those fanboy rumor mills talking about the, you know, like hours long version that might be hitting Netflix, and it's like, please, please, please give it to me. Like I'm just waiting. Like that I'm ready. Never- that never showed up, did it? It didn't. It didn't. You know, and then there were the rumors that he was making Bounty Law for Netflix. We uh, talked who, about that on the show. Who fucking knows what's true? Who fucking knows? I mean, I want to. I, I will shout out once because I doubt it'll come up again. I want to get the book. I want to read the book too. He he wrote he he like wrote this as a novel. What? Yeah, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like written as a novel. He wrote it as a novel as well. It's on sale today. I want to get it. And, yeah, yeah. And and he says it's like a more complete version. I'm I I would love that. I want to read it. If I wasn't in I was like I, if I wasn't 750 pages deep in an 1100 page book, I I would probably have already did it, but I got to I got to get over that hurdle first. Then we'll get there. I'm about to start a big book this summer too. Big books are the shit. I'm stoked. Dude. Finishing a big book makes you come away like beating your chest, which is also kind of like finishing a two hour and 40 something long minute movie, which is fucking fantastic. You come away like one to like just beat your chest and be like, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, except for this movie, like I don't even feel like I have to work to be engaged. Do you, oh. use the, you just brought up the F. Scott Fitzgerald thing. And like, I think that's so on point. I think I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about I think like, that's I'm so on point. That. Like yeah. the way the neighbor thing and the way it floats around different timelines and like it's just Crafty like, though, but it just it, you and you never question anything. You never you never lose interest. You never like want to wander around. You're like you, you're no. in constantly in. It's I've you know what I've heard Tarantino talk about the Hangout movie, and I don't know if this quite is a Hangout movie, 
but it is for me in that like i love these two lead characters so much and it's a it's such a moment for brad pitt yeah like it really is okay 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 you're trying you're you're like is it a hangout movie okay give me give me just one second uh, I was wondering, you you want to come in and watch my my episode of FBI? Well, I, I just kind of figured we were. Like, I mean, I got a six pack in the back. I Order a pizza. pizza. Like, come on, it's a fucking hangout movie. This is like one of the greatest buddy movies of all time. Like, all time, one of the greatest buddy movies. I mean, you get your boys hooking you up when you're hungover. You get getting drunk. You get your dude who's like, I can fix your antenna. You get like, it's this full fucking spectrum. It's great. My favorite moments in the movie are the buddy moments. Oh, shit, yeah. For sure. Well, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know if I can commit to that, but I can immediately like affirm, right? Yeah. Yeah, I might be right there with you. I think I, my favorite thing may be the driving scenes. I'm not sure though, but we'll we'll hash that out. It changes every time I watch it, but, right? And I, and I do say that every time I watch it, like I pick up on like, like the Manson thing kind of comes in and out of importance for me. Yeah, I don't really care. Oh uh, no, I mean I don't know if it really. Okay, I think I I read I, a I, or no. Go ahead, go ahead, please. Sometimes I've said things on this show without thinking. And I don't mean that I don't care. We all have. It's just like, it's not why I love the movie, I guess. Sure. I get his perspective and his commenting on it. And we can talk about that if you want. And I do want to talk about how he's fucked with history in his last couple movies and stuff like that. Yeah, me too. But I love this movie because of the comedy. Is, yeah. <laughs> dude, is Leonardo DiCaprio like the one of the greatest comedic actors of our lifetime? He could be. He's so fucking funny. He like I've got a thing about that too, but like no, he's great. He is absolutely good, and and I feel like this is one of those performances that was like it was so good that like anybody who like like he I don't think he like even got nominated for a single solitary acting award for this. I know it kind of pisses me off that like I mean I love Brad Pitt like every other red blooded human being on the face of the planet but like it, it was like a Brad Pitt moment and he got his yeah. Oscar and he was he like deserved it he deserved he it he deserved but... it but I'm just pulling my hair out over here like not this even nothing. Not a... That was like like one of the most like low key greatest performances of all time. Like people think it's like again, it was like we shit. I'm trying to remember what what it was, but we were talking about in this show another performance where someone was like playing something so close to themselves that people couldn't. Or maybe this was a private call. No, 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 no. I know exactly what it was. What was it? Go it ahead. It was Leonardo DiCaprio with The Departed. See, that's it. <laughs> Again, it's like, it's like, it, but that's the thing is like, this, I think people could not allow that this was him playing such a, like a movie star. Like, they couldn't separate the fact that he's playing this movie star. They just, the, okay, what I'm trying to say, sorry, around the block, back coming in the back entrance here. His performance is so subtle. So subtle that no, 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 no. Hold on. Go with me here. It's so subtle in the sense that there, there, 
you almost feel like Rick Dalton's in the movie. That's what I mean. It's like it, everything is so like just in natural. Everything is so natural and and inflective, reflective, reflexive. Excuse me. It, 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 he's just like it feels natural. It's like you're you're. It's like you're watching something that di- again. I don't. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like almost like the awards people, the people who like are recognize great acting. When they see a performance like that, they're like, I don't know what to do. Hardwire brain, brain is not wired for this. You know, short circuit, short circuit. I, I, one of my favorite things about his performance is, is when he's with Timothy Oliphant <laughs> mm-hmm. because he's great. He's a good time. He's got comedic yeah. chops. He's good on like talk shows and shit. He's cool. I like yep. him. Yeah. And like Leonardo DiCaprio. The leading man of the 21st century. Oh, yeah. And he's playing, like, this guy on the cusp of, like, complete and total fucking just obscurity. Never got there. Loved, not respected. Is he good? We don't know. This is his last shot of doing anything. Someone he'll never be. Exactly. He's far past that place. He'll never be that, ever. And that he's playing that with someone like Timothy Oliphant, who's doing a great job. He kind of he's like that. Like he's close. He's much closer to that. Cause he was on like cowboy show. Yeah. On cable and shit. Like, yeah, he is a Rick adult type actor. I mean, that has to have been on purpose. Right. Again, shout out to Timothy Oliphant. Yes. But like, Oh, and Pacino explaining how that's the network trick. Oh, you know, they bring this guy in to triumph over this guy. It's like, no, it was absolutely intentional to put like someone like Oliphant with DiCaprio. Because if you fa- if you rewind, excuse me, mm, well, damn, we're getting old. At this point, if you rewind like 25 years, okay, that's weird to fucking say that that's like, oh, rewind 25 years. And I was like, hey, I have a, I have cool. a memory from 25, from 25 years. Fucking, yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Okay, stop. Get off of it. Anyway, rewind 25 years ago. You know, Timothy Oliphant and DiCaprio, that's like a toss-up. Like, who's going to be the bigger star? Maybe, right? Maybe. Maybe. No, Maybe. Gilbert no. Grape, all that stuff had yeah. already happened. Like, No, but, but like. You, know, you get where I'm coming from, like, in he, my theory thought, right? I got you, yeah. yeah. But it's. But I didn't even like fully understand that he was on that show justified. Like he was on Bounty Club. Like he yeah, was. Yeah. 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 And the way he's like, this guy is coming apart in front of me. I just, it's I so know. good. It's so it smart. Is, it is. It is. It's it so is smart. Well, that's this movie. That and that's what I meant when I said we get it, Quentin. You're the you're Professor Emeritus. Like you are. Like listen, you can argue filmmakers, and I know I'm a I'm. We know everybody knows I'm a Quentin fanboy. I will be till I die. And I'll just say it right now, like for anybody who like wants to hate, like anybody who thinks that I'm a dude dude, and that's why I like Quentin. No, I like Quentin because Quentin is the single most skillful filmmaker alive today, but he never gives you what you fucking want him to make. He makes what he wants to make. And that's why I like Quentin and we can debate about that whenever we fucking want to but the point being is like he it is smart because he is Professor Emeritus like he's the smartest but he has to end this film with some gore that turns that that 
everybody watching this movie fucking loves it. And then the last 40 minutes, which, by the way, go by in like two. Okay. I, I planned my view today. I was doing laundry this morning. I had this movie. I had this movie for breakfast. I like watching long movies breakfast. early in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's one of my. I had a day off today. Early. Oh. I think we're good. Josh is an early, early riser. I'm like between seven and eight, and I got up, started laundry, and I planned my watch for the last thirty-five minutes because I had to fold, take a poo. I wanted to fucking sit. Yeah, yeah. And fucking yeah. dial into the last 40 minutes. And yep. I remember this watch. I had a, someone that I work with. I was like, yo, you got to go see the new Tarantino movie. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Me and my boy, we are gonna we got tickets. We're going, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I can't wait either. He comes back. I was like, did you go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? He goes, yeah, man. It wasn't the Tarantino that, that I wanted. Like, it wasn't my speed at all. I like the end, though. I was like, with all the gore? And he was like, yeah, that was all right. Uh, I mean, okay, I get it, but like, okay. Okay, let's have, can we have our first of hopefully many sidebars of the day? We need to hash something out in case this is the last episode. You do not like Hateful Eight at all. No. You, You detest it. I don't I, detest it. I just no, don't. Okay. Want, just, you, okay, sure. It's just it's your like it's your least favorite Tarantino film by a large margin. By exactly. Okay, so <laughs> chess is not that far off. But like, I get you. Okay, I on the other hand love it because he did the whole uh, seventy millimeter theater spectacle with the program, the intermission. I just love the, the whole idea of it as an art piece, and I get that. But, but. Let's talk about the gore. That's because it's fucking fun. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. It's funny. It really, really is. Like, and it's funny because he's on fucking acid. Yes. And yes. Like, the underlying thing that every time I watch it, it just keeps getting hammered home in a different way is that Cliff Booth is like a murderer and a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it, it takes many watches for that to re- really understand. Like, the fuck in. He's then on he drugs. drove his wife out into the middle of the ocean, shot her fucking ass, dumped her off the boat so they could not prove she was gone and killed his wife. I don't think he needed to be on drugs to take that one young lady's face and just like completely cave it in. Like It was like three strokes too many. But, and- but, but here's what makes it all okay. He hit her in the face with a can of dog food. <laughs> that was the other chick. That I know, but like that one action just like it makes you laugh through like the next like 45 seconds of harsh violence. You're like laughing as you're seeing this shit, you know, and it like it detracts from it. I'm just saying, like, it's it's smart filmmaking. He knows what he's doing. He, yeah fucking with you yeah are you are you guilty are you grossed out or is this fucking funny decide because when he busts that fucking flamethrower out your ass is gonna laugh oh my god it's so funny still it is and i i gotta be honest i don't think i really 
I, I definitely connected the dot before, but like one of Rick's first lines in the movie is like, I'm one pool party away from being in the next Polanski movie. And boy, yeah, does he I, have a fucking pool party at the end. Torches yeah. that chick. Oh, hold on. Okay, I realize we're we're deep into this, but I just want to... I, I feel like we owe a little bit of a service. We should tell people... A, if Maybe somebody hasn't seen this movie. Can you just like run through like in like 10 seconds, 15 seconds, like what this fucking movie is about? In case you don't know. Like, for real. We completely ignore that. We dove right in, but I'm just saying like a little background in case... Somebody turns this on and they're like, these guys are funny, but I don't know what this is about. <laughs> um, give me a, two seconds, three yes. seconds. We got it. He's collecting. It's like so in the summer of 1969, this like huge watershed moment happens where the innocence of the decade is completely deleted by the murder of a young burgeoning actress by a also burgeoning culture icon slash psychotic serial killer in Charles Manson, who has... Uh, a, a conclave of like young people following him around in <laughs> suburbs of Los Angeles. That's the backdrop of this film. And the forefront of this film is a buddy cop movie, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> where um, this actor Rick Dalton and his stunt double slash friend for hire is is dealing with a midlife crisis of his career. And what happens is it's the transition in Hollywood. It's a transition in America. It's Quentin Tarantino's love letter to Los Angeles and America. And that's essentially what we're watching here. We have an understated, if you want, uh, performance from Margot Robbie. But really, she's the shining light and like the last beacon of hope of the decade is what she is. So if you have any shit to say about that, fuck you and you don't understand good writing. That's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that was better than the New York Times review right there. That was great. Woo! That was like off the top of the dome. Like, okay, everybody, let's give the guy some credit right there. I mean, for real. Yes. Yes. That was good. That was, Cheers. you may have even approached triple alliterative improvisation <laughs> there. I'm not sure, but it could be great. That was high level acting. Oh, God. So I, okay, so but for real, that was great. So if you need to pause and go look some shit up, go for it. But that was all you need. I'm proud of myself. Yes, that was good. That was fucking good. So oh. talking about flamethrowers here, yeah, there is an absurdity to the movie, and I think that the last forty minutes encapsulates the best part of the absurdity. And like, I don't think, I don't think Cliff like. Needed to be on drugs again to be that funny with Tex. Ooh, I have a sidebar. Real quick. Oh, yep. Let's take it. Woo! The actor who's playing Tex in this film mm-hmm. is playing, drumroll. I'm there for it. Elvis Presley in an upcoming biopic. Oh, I can see that. Definitely. Okay, so can I give you, since we're on a sidebar, let me give you a little, okay. So I'm stoned to shit. And I'm watching. Right now? <laughs> no, well, not currently. Uh, close, but not currently. I was stoned to shit though for a moment, and I'm watching the scene because I like actually paused the movie right when Cliff cut the lights out, and he's like, "Ooh, mistake! The train has left the station." <laughs> like right before every all the shit goes out, he I cut the lights the on. 
No, he cuts him off because his head's hurting because he's oh, on acid. Okay. Yeah. And he cuts him off so he can feed the dog. Oh, and right, he's right. like, oh, mistake. And I paused it right there. I was like, I'm going to go take a little hit because this is going to get this is going to get lit. So I, I'm OK. So I'm stoned and I'm watching the scene in the in the backseat of the car. And, you know, the one actress is like Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. Oh, yeah. the one that runs away. Yeah, the one that runs away. Yeah. And it's like, it's weirdly, she's like this fucking 50 50 person. Yeah. Yeah. So it, Is her name uh, Maya? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. But, but I had this moment. And I'm like, I was like, oh, what if the other girl is like Lucy Liu's daughter? And like the other guy is like Michael Madsen's like son. And like then that other girl is like, like, Kim Basinger's daughter or some shit like that would be wild man and and like no not at all that not at all but I just wanted to share that since we're on the sidebar I had that high thought how cool would that have been in the backseat of that car Michael Madsen's in the movie for like 60 seconds I know I know well he a lot longer on the special features you get a whole ep of Bounty Law like like a good chunk I want to watch Bounty Law did you ever watch um the Rifleman? No. That's kind of like the archetype of... Gunsmoke, Bonanza. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. see those, you know, so I vibe on it. I love those shows. But, but like, okay, so while we're talking about that, like, I said earlier, like, there's a mixture of everything that that he puts into this film. Like, okay, he nails that square format 1950s. I love that it starts with that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember being in the theater for the first time, and that started, and I was like, I'm in to Immediately. an experience. Like, yeah. this is going to be all-encompassing homage, love letter yes. to, to Hollywood. Yep, yep. And then, and, then, and then it cuts from the square frame to the wide frame of, of the characters that you just watched giving an interview promo for it, right? And yeah. you're like, it changes the cameras, the cameras and the angles and the aspect changes and you're like shit but like they're in character and it's the you're immediately like and then it cuts right it fades and then you see like the the credits start to pop up like the the you know the secondary credits start to roll up and you're like okay okay i see where i'm at now and you open on that fucking painting of the of his face like oh my god i this film is just so thick it's fucking the Can best I, things in life are thick. I think the best things. films, novels. Women. Yes, sir. <laughs> the best things in life are thick. Blankets, socks. Give it to me. Come on, prove me wrong. Mm, mashed potatoes. I don't know. There's a debate to be had there. <laughs> There's a debate to be had about the. Uh, um, I love the ending uh, credit for the title. The title card. Yeah. When Rick gets like his redemption, can we talk about that? Sure. Sure. Like this whole thing, it's just this whirlwind. The last forty minutes or whatever, and then he gets his like redemption, and he's loved, and <laughs> he gets invited up to the house. Quentin Tarantino like rewrites history. And Sharon Tate survives, and Cliff Booth saves the day. Yeah, that's yeah. how the and film ends. What, what, what's the quote you you've 
you said one one pool party. I'm one pool party away from being in the next Roman Polanski. Yeah, movie. and when when does he drop that at the very beginning in the movie? Very when beginning. We're, when we're getting to know everybody and understanding, because Act One of this movie is literally just an introduction to everybody. That's it. That's it. Here's yeah. everybody. You know, here's your intro. Understand who these people are a little bit. That's Act One. You know, of this film and. He says that at the very beginning of Act 1. And of course, because again, a word I'm going to use a lot tonight is smart. Smart. It's a beautiful follow-through as a writer to end the film in that way. Because because we've touched on, I think we should, let's let's talk about history with Quentin Tarantino, right? Like, we've had a smidge of this conversation before, but like I listened to a great podcast. I can't remember the lady's name, uh, but it was the name of the podcast is five things. And she did an episode with Quentin Tarantino with him and with him and then kind of about him. And, and they say like it, somewhere in there, she says that he is the ultimate optimist of this generation of filmmakers because, and she says, all the gore is there, and everyone hates on him for that fucking gore. And they think that his movies are uh, smutty and like dirty and and you know like shock uh, value. Like yeah, yeah. Like what's there's another word I'm thinking of, but whatever. You know, like down low, cheap. Yeah, yeah. Like for, for uh, anyway. But she says he's the ultimate optimist, and when she said that, I was like, that makes perfect sense because. You would have to have ultimate optimism to go and rewrite World War II history and save literally millions of lives. And you would have to have ultimate, utmost optimism to go and rewrite history where the Manson murders don't happen, the hippie movement doesn't die. It doesn't and die it in does the way it does. End. But it won't die. It wouldn't die. It, I, because what would have happened with the hippie movement in my mind and the way I like to view it, and I am an optimist and we all know that, but, but it would have slowly tamed, but it would have spread wide. There is the sense of like, like Rick has like super anti-hippie sentiment. He does. It's some of, there are some of my favorite quotes are him, but Rick, fuck it, but, hippies. But Rick's kind of a like we love Rick, right? We love Rick, yeah, hundred percent. But we understand Rick's a man of his time and of the age that he is from. And Rick's kind of a little he like throwing around some bigoty shit, you know, oh, like yeah. that that triple uh, that triple alliteration was not like the friendliest terminology in the world, you know. He said that before in real time. Yeah, so so it's like you get that, but like that's the old guard. And I yes. think that th- what this movie is kind of about is an imagination of like, okay, if you were going to say, let's imagine a world where the hippie imagine movement never died. World. Yeah. The hippie movement never died, right? Let's just say that. Now, you could make a movie that's 20 years in the future from when the hippie movement died. And you could imagine it that way. What Tarantino did was let's go trace the source. Of of the poison, the first drop of poison that killed the hippie movement, and let's let's make a movie about if that had never happened, 
and let everybody else fill the rest in. It's this, it, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful utopian picture. It's got gore. Sure. But what, what, but here's the thing. And this is why I don't understand why anyone have any problem with the gore at the end of this film. What the fuck really happened that night? You got, would you rather him? Far worse. Far worse than what happened in the movie. Wouldn't you rather watch the people who actually horrifically slayed people and murdered them get their fucking shit beat in? I'd rather watch that. It's a fucking shitload more entertaining to watch sociopathic fucking killers get beat up by like good looking stuntmen and a fucking Hollywood movie star with a fucking flamethrower. You was on a horsey. <laughs> my, my favorite quote of the entire film your Hold name up. was something stupid like no no it's dumber nat something like rex kill him tex that's it's it. greatest that's, that's it that's <laughs> it tex dumber than that greatest quote of the whole film <laughs> i love it i love it oh but yeah no, it's, it's optimism man it really is at the end of the day it is Mel Cliff's crazy the way he looks at the knife stuck in his hip. Just un- on the end. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Wow, so that a knife stuck in me. I mean, you see the close-ups of his arms as he's driving, and he's just got scars every fucking where. And, and like Rick's like, hell, you can throw him off a bridge. You can hit him with a, with a Cadillac. You can do whatever you want to do, man, just as long as he gets paid. Just give him the opportunity. He'll be grateful for the opportunity. Like, you do whatever you want. Let's talk about their friendship. Yeah, it's a great friendship. Is it? Yeah, it is. I think it, it is. Yeah, I think they both get what they need out of it. What, is, uh, what does the narrator say? The narrator being... Uh, um, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, thank you. Yep. I was about to say Baldwin, but I knew it was someone who was in the movie. Um... He says that when someone's closer than a brother, but not quite your wife. That's yep. what Cliff and Rick are. The only, the only thing to do at the end of that relationship. Have a good old-fashioned drunk. Have a good old-fashioned drunk. That's right. That's oh, right. I fucking love that part of the movie. Yeah, it's great. It is, and it's true. It's, it's, um, and it's like, we, you know, I can't really relate to that that exact kind of a moment, but but yeah. there are times when you kind of understand like the dynamic of a good friendship is changing because something in the mixture that was has changed. You know what I mean? And you just sometimes you just got to get hammered and have a lot of fun. That's just what it is. I think that maybe be the entire concept behind bachelor parties. Now that I'm saying that out loud, now I feel wow. Stupid. I never really thought about oh, that. Oh, had an idea there. Uh, no, but for real, I think that might be the entire concept. Why should your it's fun? Great. Why should your fun life end just because you're? It shouldn't. That's the thing. But I don't think that's the case for a lot of people. What does Once Upon a Time in Hollywood have to say about marriage? You know. I don't know. I think Rick and uh, Francesca are going to be pretty damn happy. I think so, too. Yeah, I watched I it. I was so. like, I think they're going to be good. Yep. Yep. Too wild and crazy. She likes to sleep. He likes to work and drink. That's it. They're going to yep. be all right. Yep. That's it. I like Rick's, like, uh, like, uh, after he does the Italian movies, he's like, yeah, I'm selling the house. 
I'm gonna move somewhere and live off of it. Like I'm done. Yeah, I don't. I I really loved it this time around. I was like, Rick humbled himself. He did it. Like he kind of came full circle a little bit. Yeah, he did. Um, oh, except he's gonna be in the Polanski movie, and his career's gonna take off again. I forgot. There's that. There is that. I mean, it's just. It's like I always think that's so funny because he's like at the beginning of the movie his his confidence is there. And it's like, you know, my oh, mentor it's, it's told me my mentor told me you you buy real estate when you're that making you money and that means you fucking live here. And then fast forward coming back from Italy, I think I'm gonna sell the house and buy a condo and 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 we'll see what happens come next pilot season. You know, it's it, it that I love that like little su- it. This I don't know. It's like this. I hope we get a tenth film from this guy. But if this is the last thing that he ever actually decided, he's always said he's us, doing ten. I know. But if for whatever reason this is the last film that this guy gave us, I'd be incredibly grateful because. There's just so much there. There's so much history of of what we can what we all know, like our age, what we know of movies and TV. A lot of that shit is is being like shown to you right now. Like 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 the young actress, you know, I'm you know, because what I I, I don't I don't know the stuff off the top of my head, but like this is 69. And you got, you know, Brando's already done his fucking thing. Dustin Hoffman's coming onto the scene, Midnight Cowboy, playing like fucking Rizzo and like getting fucking in the cut. You know, you've got Hopper and Easy Rider. Like shit's getting fucking Jack real. Jack Nicholson is like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, we're, we're, we're in the golden age of like actors who – assume the personality of the person they're playing and you got this young actress saying like oh no please don't don't ask me my name i'm my character that's it that's it it's definitely a reference to like that yeah that's arriving yeah yeah and you're seeing that the end of like the era where it's like pretty faces go out there and just blurt out lines can we there's a part of that i have written down that i love well he thinks his character's last name is dakota (laughs) I thought it was Dakota. Dakota. I can't even. I wanted to be uh, Dakota. Dakota or Dakota. Dakota or something like that. Yeah. I love that part. Yeah, that's great. I'm pretty sure it's Dakota. I know. That little that little girl is great. I fucking love her performance. It's like beautiful. Just the scene where he's like reading the book. He tells her the story of the book about him. not sure that he's useful anymore. Gets You'll more be- and more fucking useless every day. About, about about another 15 years, you'll be living it. <laughs> it's, DiCaprio is gold! Oh my god, he's so fucking good. Fair, dude. It's why not, he, okay. Why doesn't he get, why, why, why? I don't know, I don't know. And it's I like, don't understand I feel, it. I feel like the only reason he won for Revenant is because he was like out in like subarctic temperatures doing that crazy shit. And they were just you know like, okay, you I think we, we have to. He said, I'm never doing that again. Right? He's like, Fuck never that. doing that again. I mean, and it, all of that to get an Oscar. It's like this dude could have won an Oscar as far back as like fucking Aviator. Like, and I know that's not your favorite film and that's a different discussion, yeah. but like. 
his performance inside of that film, that could have been an Oscar. It's He's just, had a million of those performances at this point. He could have won an Oscar for fucking Django. Just, oh my honest, God, yes. If Norman Beatty, R.I. fucking P, or excuse me, Ned Beatty, I'm sorry I fucked your name up, sir, rest in peace, Ned Beatty, if he can win an Oscar for giving that monologue in the fucking network in front of all those green lamps, DiCaprio could have won a fucking Oscar for Django because that was some fucking crazy fucking shit. That was good stuff, man. I think Django, Wolf of Wall Street, and this, like, how do you quantify it? This man is a fucking genius. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's and, he, and he's good, like, even when the role is not, like, the greatest in the, in the history of the world, he's good. Catch me if you can, he's great, right? Oh, like, come on. Aviator, he's great. You know, like, you d- departed another role. Come on, where the fuck we at? I don't know. No one listened to that episode of the Digest Show. <laughs> Go back well, and listen. Did it pad and it's kind of tired. Is it tired? Maybe. Maybe. Did, Who knows? We also had to do that twice, didn't we? I don't remember. The we world we had, of podcasting. We had to re-record it. It didn't go well. Technical Maybe difficulties. Technical difficulties. They happen. They happen. Tell me about why you love the music. <sighs> Okay, so, okay, well, not only do I love classic rock, and not only do I love most, like, most art from the 40s through the 70s, early 70s, in my mind, is still, like, some of the best shit that comes out, literature, art, music, movies, like, all that. A lot of the best is there. There's great shit after I'm not one of those people who romanticizes, but when you quantify the numbers as far as my personal opinions of what is good, there's a lot there. And so not only does that does this soundtrack stay true to what would be there, but you can tell the research that goes into it for the year. Uh, but there is, to my knowledge, not really another soundtrack like this. I have this on vinyl. When you listen to this, you get the radio advertisements from, you know, for Cologne, for, uh, you know, Tanya, uh, bu- t- t- uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Tanya, uh, you know, you tan like you're in Waikiki, tanning butter. You get all these like advertisements and not only that, but the sound quality of each song is dependent upon how the person in the film would be hearing it. So when you're in a convertible, go ahead. Sure. My favorite moment of that is the Paul Revere and the Raiders record. Sure. It's the best sound quality in the whole film because Roman Polanski would probably have like a great home stereo. And it's like in Jay Siebert, Siebert, Sebring, Siebert was like a famous Sebring, like was like hairdresser to the stars. He gave Jim yep. Morrison's famous little flip and she gives him a hard time. Like, you gotta tell the doors that I'm listening to Paul Revere and the Raiders. I personally yep. fucking love Paul Revere and the Raiders. I was listening to that today. Spirit yeah. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that moment. Yeah. Sounds dope. But, but so what I'm getting at is like, so for example, when you're in the convertible and you're listening to Hush on the radio, uh-huh. 
Hush. It sounds a little fuzzy. Like it's not the greatest sound quality. When you're at the Playboy Mansion and you're hearing uh, fuck. Whatever you're hearing there. I can't Isn't remember it? all that. I have to look it up now. E- either way, you're at the Playboy Mansion and Mama Cass is grabbing Sharon Tate and they're going to, to dance. And whatever you're hearing though, it's it's the sound quality is better than what it is in the is car. It's at a party. It's at a party. It's good good stereo system. When Cliff's in the car driving, the the in the Cadillac, the sound quality is a little better than it is when he's in his little coupe, his little sports car. But when she puts on Paul Revere and the Raiders, that's the best cut that you really get because she's at home and her stereo system is playing and it feels more pure and more full than the rest of the film. And that's why I think the soundtrack is so fucking good. Did remind me what the when we did Jackie Brown a couple months ago, did Tarantino like just make a playlist? I mean, it's possible you can get I have that soundtrack and this soundtrack on vinyl, you know, but I I, I think it's more like, OK, my favorite musical moment in this movie has changed as I've watched it, but I've come to settle upon my favorite use of music in this film is Out of Time by the Rolling Stones. It's the perfect huh. it's the perfect spot. They're on the plane. They're out of time. Rick's already told Cliff, like, I can't afford to hire you to drive me around and be my friend anymore. So we're just going to have to be friend friends. And you're going to have to hang out when you can. And Sharon Tate, according to legitimate history, is running out of time. Her and everybody that she's interacting with, they're going to die that night. Yeah. In in the history, that in the world that you and I live in, they're dying. They're going to die that night. And... Baby, 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 you're out of time. And it's perfect. It's just perfect. It, it, it is of the times, and it's fucking perfect. And that is, the, the, I think that much thoughtfulness almost goes into everything for yeah. him. I know for a fact this fucking guy did research as to what would have played on that radio station on the nights in particular that he was thinking because every billboard, every marquee along Hollywood Boulevard that they show you as you're driving through L.A., every movie that's advertised, every it's, show is accurate. Is accurate. So he would have known what would have played on the radio that night because this guy experienced this shit and this is a fucking epic homage. And you've already said that before, but everything's accurate. So he, that's why I think like there's a lot more thought than just like, let's make a playlist, you know, maybe with Jackie Brown, but in this one, no, there's, this guy is pulling from, from the depths of his memory and his ability. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what are some of your other favorite quotes? It's a very quotable movie. I mean, the the, mo- the the whole time in the trailer with DiCaprio is like when he comes off set after having to ask for a couple of lines. That that could be the best part of this movie. It's, the, it's honestly because I feel like the laughter of a movie, the first 
time you watch it is really the best gauge for what is the funniest because after that the subtleties start to get you and that's great but like i don't think i laughed harder the first time i watched this than in that trailer scene and i think my se- like my second favorite quote besides the cliff quote would be when he walks in there and he's like eight goddamn whiskey sirs why couldn't you fucking stop at three to four? Because you're a fucking alcoholic every goddamn night. You're drinking fucking eight whiskey sours. You're making it look like you didn't practice your lines, and you practice your lines. And you practice your lines. You make it look like you didn't. And yeah. Then, we talked about it a little bit ago, but my favorite part of that whole scene is like the, the editing, the cut, when he's like, we've all been there. We drank too much the night before, and it's like, you're done. You're not drinking anymore. Like you're giving anymore. it up. And he's taking a nip from the flask, and then he cut. Both no, it's the door. It's like and he like goes into the mirror. He's like, I will blow your fucking brains out tonight. I swear to God, if you don't get this right. Maybe when he gets to set, he's having the funny conversation with the the the, the director and the the costume designer. And he's just like, <laughs> he's like cold pressing ice cubes. Ice face. cubes, yeah, yeah. You want me to look like a fucking hippie? My favorite quotes are all Rick Dalton quotes. Goddamn fucking hippies. Hey, goddamn whiskey sours. And then bring bagels. Bring bagels. That's my favorite. Bring bagels. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think actually another one of my favorite moments would be like when he comes out of the meeting with with Al Pacino, Mr. Schwarz. Yeah, gotta gotta get that right. And he's like fucking crying, and he's like he he puts his head on Cliff, and Cliff's like, whoa, 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 don't don't cry. It's just. I love this film so much again because I go back to that optimism and it's like it just makes me think like not only is this film just so beautiful and so fucking well made and so well written and well acted and like beautifully filmed and everything all of it is just great but but the note it strikes it's like this if if that culture had not died. We would not be where we're at today. And so it, it it puts you in this place where you can laugh at how kind of ignorant those generations were before because in his version of the world, it's going to end. In the very near future, we didn't get there today. So you it, you can't really like when some when people say the shit that's said in this movie, you can't really laugh at it when they say it today, twenty twenty one. But in this version, you can kind of almost let yourself laugh, and it's funny because you you know that the hope is that that culture is going to win in the win in the end, and I think that's what's so good about this movie, like. As far as the underlying themes, you know what I mean? Like, I you can't separate. You can't. I think, yeah, and I, it's funny to, to think back of, of Tarantino's first films. And, like, they are, like, almost gumshoey. They are, like, comic booky. They are flashy Hollywood awesome fucking films that you go and watch. And they're gritty and they're cool. And then for him to cool. take the... Cool. And then to take yeah. the reins in Glorious Bastards and in this film in particular, these two in particular... 
and fuck with history and it yeah. comment on culture in that way is like is amazing. And and it's such and a big me, flex. And let me add one little quick note before you continue. Like period pieces. These that and Inglorious Bastards and Django, period pieces. Okay. He fucking executes the period piece so absolutely perfectly. You can't crush his fucking balls on that. Right. You can give him shit that he kills Hitler in a theater and saves a millions, millions of lives. You can give him shit that that the, that the slave gets away and gets to fucking get his fucking revenge and save his wife. And you can give him shit that the Manson murders never happen and cool vibes in Hollywood just continue forever. You know, you can give him shit about that, but you can't give him shit on the execution because his period pieces look better than almost any other period piece you're going to fucking find. They're executed perfectly. Costumes, everything. He even uses the fucking Columbia Pictures fucking title screen at the beginning from the era of the fucking filming that he's making. It's fucking absurd. It's thick. Like the best things in life. The best things in life are thick. Yes, they are. Like a head of hair. Uh, thank you for going off the rails on how much you love Quentin Tarantino. Because that's yeah, what the show course. is all about. It is. It is. I got, you got your pen out. Dog's off the leash. Give me some shit. Um, the narration. Absolute little thing that I, I completely love. And Kurt Russell. Kurt fucking Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt and, Russell. And Quentin loves Kurt Russell. He does. He's got his little bit part in the film. You know? um, yeah. Stunt he's coordinator. Like, he's a Hollywood legend. Yeah. 100% Hollywood legend. There, I have mean, you ever even seen Overboard? I mean, have, have you been watching TV or cinema for the past like 30 years? Yes. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt Russell's been there, guy, and he also kind of married a mega superstar. So, yeah, and they kind of produced, like, a mega superstar. So it's kind of a thing, you oh, know? Yeah. Still. Um, and there's a lot of that in this movie. You know, you get, what is it? Um, we talked about Oliphant, but you get Pacino. You get, well, you get uh, Margaret Qualley, daughter of Andy McDowell. Yep, exactly. Uh-huh. And you get, um, who is it that plays... Um, Dakota damn. Fanny? Yeah, well, you get Dakota Fan. I mean, Bruce Dern, which is Dern. another big fucking name, and uh, Lena Dunham is in this. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, there's one that I'm thinking of. I can't. It's I'm blanking on it. I don't. I guess it doesn't matter that much. Uh, Zoe Bell's playing his wife. Um, she's in a bunch of Tarantino stuff. Yeah, which I love. I love that. But anyway, you he that's another layer to this whole thing is this homage to Hollywood and you get all these like drops, right? And then in the deleted scenes you get James Marsden playing Burt Reynolds. What? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's oh! it's, it's, a, it's a minor it's a minor thing. It's in an Apple cigarettes commercial. And you get cut. James yeah, it did get cut. I love you know? James Marsden. He's super funny. Yeah. But but he does this good job of like putting current celebrities like scattered through this whole film. Ooh. Right? 
Um, but with references to old celebrities like Mama Cass, right? Like Mama Cass, and who's the Steve guy? Steve McQueen. Damn it! Yes, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, he like sprinkles these. Damian Lewis. They're all through the whole film, and it's like this. It's just, it's so perfectly woven. It's like a, I don't know. It, it's 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 just the. You hate to say it's like an opus, but it almost is because. It makes you, me think. I was gonna say this earlier. Like, what is the tenth movie gonna be? Or is it gonna be ten years before we see the tenth movie? Who fucking knows, man? He said that like he he was like, my tenth film will be a culmination of everything I've been trying to do over my entire film career. Is like I'm paraphrasing. That's not verbatim at all, but like it's something to that effect. Like it's gonna be like a culmination of everything. Well, it's, it's funny you say that, use that word, because you brought up the Apple cigarettes, which is like a thing in almost every Tarantino movie. Absolutely, yeah. And I was waiting to bring up the and and Antonio Marguerite, the, the Italian film director, which was the fake name of one of the um, bastards, the glorious bastards at the film premiere. He is like a director in the Spaghetti Westerns thing. Like, Tarantino's famous, and it becomes more and more... For making his universe. Yeah, his universe is a thing. Yep, yep. So like the the tenth movie, how much? How far was it between um, the movie I don't like in in uh, Hollywood? Because it got it's, it goes Django nineteen twenty nineteen was Hollywood and twenty fifteen fifteen sixteen or seventeen was sixteen. It would have been sixteen or seventeen because it would have been. Yeah, it had to be sixteen or seventeen because I drove down, I drove up from Salem not to, the, to the Hollywood Theater in Portland and watched on Thanksgiving, right, or Christmas? Some around the because it was somewhere around there because I'm looking Tar- Tarantino. It was one of the like handful of places you could watch Hateful Eight on seventy millimeter. Was the Hollywood Theater? In I Portland. was right, and I don't even like and, this. It's 2015. And fucking when? 2015. 15. Okay, okay. So that yeah, because I was I was living in Portland then, and Tarantino was doing theater visits unannounced before screenings of his film in 70 millimeter, and there was this buzz. That he was gonna be at the Hollywood Theater, and that, that motherfucker was sh- literally there. No, he was there the next fucking weekend. The next fucking weekend, he was there. I was so fucking mad. But he like fucking- totally talked to the whole crowd and like everything because he did this whole big thing around that movie. But um, uh, but yeah, so it had been 2015 to 2019, so four years. So you know, we're if if all holds true within the next. 12 months we should at least get a release uh, uh you know or like a press release or a, pre- a title a, a, a title a press release a uh who's starring in it i bet something. It, I, I bet he's i bet he's working on it right now and the, you but the, here's the okay a fun little tidbit here's the thing because for years this film that we're discussing right now basically was like up on imdb as like uh uh what was it kill pussycat kill faster faster like sequel or prequel or some shit 
I think that really what happened is like this dude was like working on a script from the 60s and some dumb fucking reporters were like, he's doing this. It's got to be that. Like, that's the only option. He Okay, Tarantino's doing that. And then they also try to say he's doing this Star Trek shit. Which Oh, yeah. What's up with that? I highly doubt. I highly, highly doubt that Tarantino. What if his 10th movie is Star Trek? If it is, I'll watch it and I will be fucking thrilled to go into it. But I I doubt that. You know he loves seriously. he loves Chris Pine. Sure. He's, sure. So he you said you listen. I to like him on the Star a, Trek movies. You said you listened to him on a podcast before. I listened to him on uh, another movie podcast that I like that inspired me for this show, and he showed up on there and he does he like waxes poetic on how much he loves Chris Pine for like ninety seconds. He's like, they say, well, who's one actor you'd want to work with? And for some reason, he fucking loves Chris Pine. He's going to be in 10, man. He's going to be in number 10. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. But, like, I, I, I just, I feel like, I feel like everybody's like, well, what's he going to do after 10 films? And it's like, I feel like the dude's going to make TV. That's what I think he's going to do. I could be wrong, but I think he's going to make TV. And he's obviously going to write because he adapted this into a novel. And who knows? And you can you and you said you can buy that right now. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm pretty sure it's in the mail coming to my house, but like, like currently. But like, uh, you um, as as someone who has written a few things, like I'm not a I'm not like a prolific writer by any fucking means. But as someone who like thinks in that way, who fucking knows how he even wrote this? He may have written the novel first and then just like. Made a movie off of the fuck and like banged out a shooting script and then made a fucking movie. He could have written it as a novel first. Who fucking knows? So who knows what the guy's gonna do? But you know he's not gonna stop. That's the main point. I just remember the Timothy Oliphant justified bounty law. Fucking so fucking good. It's so smart. And I love that that guy rolled with it. It was like, yep, I'm modern day Rick Dalton. I'm modern day Rick Dalton. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah. I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're set up. You got your knee up. You're chilling, dude. I'm fucking chilling. This is, you know, this is how we do. This is how we do. Um, I will say, but back to the narration, right? Because we touched on it, but then we kind of moved off of it. But I love so when Cliff and Rick are coming back, and Francesca are coming back from Italy. The narration picks up again after really, oh, yeah. only, after really only being there for spot seconds at a time. You know, uh, he got a DUI or no, but it, it's really important here. Well, what it does? Well, that's a total that, lie. Rick had his license taken away from too many drunk driving tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but but what it does is this: it, it creates. This is the beauty. It it takes you into this like. Uh serial killer crime documentary vibe because it starts telling you the times of all the people who you know if you're watching this movie and you have any fucking clue about the manson murders you know what's getting ready to happen so you're watching it and kurt russell's telling you this is what everybody's doing at this time and sharon changes into her comfy clothes and abigail retires to her room to smoke a joint which is where all these people are going to be eventually killed in the right. clothing, in the scenarios that they right. are actually killed in, and you and he keeps 
reading all this out and it sets this thing up. That's the beauty of it because it, you know what's going to happen. It's being set up perfectly. And then he just pulls the fucking pin and he just pulls the rug out from under everything you know and says, no, this is what happened. You know, and that that I just find that to be so cool. And I think that the narration is simply there for that purpose at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. To set you up. Yep. To set you up. What's going to happen? I know exactly. this is what's happening. Yeah. I know this is what's happening. Is he going to, yep. is he, uh, casual film fans, Tarantino is going to show us the Manson murders. It's going to yep. be this gory reenactment of the Manson murders. And it's like, nope. No. Turning that shit on its fucking head. Absolutely. Power, power artistry, like <clears throat> license. Like it's amazing power. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I yeah. love it. And he fucking killed Hitler. And the slave yeah. got revenge. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, I know. And it's like, and that's what I really believe that. Like that. And I think that maybe that's why I am such a Tarantino fan is that we share that optimism thing. Like, I, because you do have to wonder, like, it does act absolutely take a full-blown optimist to sit down and spend, let's get real, months of your life, like years actually conceiving of, but months of your life writing a story in which World War II, while every scenario was the same, was ended way earlier and all of the main like crises were averted because I'm reading the book right fucking now. And if Hitler died, if Hitler had died, like right after they took France, shit would have been like, it would have been bad. Like, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't have been that bad. Like it would have been way better. Like whole sovereign States would have been good. And like, Millions and millions and millions of people would have been alive. We did our top five favorite Tarantino movies on Foxy Brown, right? Uh, Jackie Brown. Jackie uh, Brown. Sorry. I think we're, we're just. Com- I'm conflate- drinking. <laughs> Me too, but I think you're. We're conflating. She was uh, Foxy Brown as well. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I don't know if we did do our no, top five. We 100 percent did, and mine was Hollywood Bastards. What did I pick for three? You don't remember doing that? We totally did that. I don't know. I mean, I I remember us discussing that. No, we did it on tape. Like it's it's recorded. I think. I think well, you picked Jackie Brown first. Yeah, and then probably either Hollywood or Pulp Fiction <laughs> next. Did you pick the Hateful Eight as your number two favorite? No. No. Sure? I, I'm pretty positive. Yeah. If I did again, it would have been because piss me off. No, it would, dude. I have a program from the Hateful Eight in my home. I have three of them because I went with friends and nobody else gave a shit about theirs, and I kept them why all. Didn't I, why didn't I go? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you were working. I do like to work a lot. 
you do work a lot and you do work them grocery store hours. I'm just saying. The retail shifts are sporadic. <laughs> sporadic. <laughs> uh but but anyway, like if I do if I did pick Hateful Eight, it would have been because I like what he did for that movie. Like he he really pushed the 70 millimeter thing. It was a beautiful like as an artist, almost any frame in that entire film, I could frame and hang in my home. Like they're beautiful. It's so perfectly composed. I mean, it was a feat of cinematography and filmmaking. And I and it was also the writing is like incredible. Like anybody, like, look. You can say your piece, but anybody who doesn't like that film, if you can't... Are we just, talking about Hateful Eight right now? Still? Yes. If you can't look past the fucking gore, okay. this is you why, need to like, move this is on. Why, this is why we started a podcast about movies, because I stopped paying attention to what you were talking about, because you were talking about the fucking Hateful Eight on a podcast about what's about a time in Hollywood. For like you brought it up! You brought it up, okay? You brought it up. You brought up the hateful eight, not me. I just responded to it. That's hey, anybody who's going to listen to this episode. I want you to go back and listen to the network episode of this show. Since we're taking a break, a sabbatical, a long-term step away. That's my favorite episode of our show, and it's number two. <laughs> number two. Women I love. Nice guys I loved. Dunkirk, I loved. Um, Jackie Brown, I loved. I loved our Sopranos foray. What are some of your other favorite moments of the show? Mm-hmm. Network, network y'all, was good. Y'all go back and listen to the Milk episode. No one listened to that one, but that oh, was fucking good. Milk. The Milk episode was dope. Like the Milk episode. Episode is good. It was actually really good. Like it was one of the best episodes that we did. I mean, I think that a lot of the stuff in the first. I mean, a lot of the stuff is good. I mean, the fucking fight night double feature that was yeah. pretty hot. Uh, social 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 network? social network was also that was a really good episode. Fire and also next Christmas holiday palooza. That's fun. It's add so- that to your. Your your uh what what your Yuletide listens, you know what I mean, dude. That was so fun, so Remember fun. When, um, we did North by Northwest. Good app, good app, great app. Cert got lots of research. Yeah, we got super into that one. We did. I'm trying to think of, I mean, there will be blood. But I would say once upon a time in Hollywood, and there will be blood are the, the reasons we started them a podcast about movies. Yeah, I mean, I think I think once upon a time in Hollywood, we we were talking about this film on the phone, and we realized like, yo, this could be a podcast. And then when the coronavirus happened, and we kind of had this pandemic lockdown and stuff, we we were like, we should we should do this now because the time is right. You know, and when we decided to do it, we were like, well, what do we want to do as our first episode? And we thought once upon a time in Hollywood, but 
We were like, no, we can't do that right now. It's too, it just came out and we need more time with it. We need more time with that movie. Yeah. So we, there will be blood because that's basically like, as far as our friendship goes, movies wise, it's like once upon a time in Hollywood, the Patriot and <laughs> <laughs> there will be blood. Those are like the top three greatest movies of our friendship. Only because I went to great lengths to play the Patriot for you once. And so you I feel a like friend. You we a went to friend. battle for that movie and it will and always I, be part of our DNA. And I talked through the entire fucking thing. The entire first 30 minutes and then you passed and out. Fe- and then I fell asleep. And then you passed out. Thanks and you, but, but you were correctly correcting the historical inaccuracies in the Patriot. So what I, I got to give you credit for that. What Drunk I mean, is- what if I would I be me if I wasn't doing that sober or intoxicated? No, you wouldn't be you. You wouldn't be you. But those were college years, so clearly we were intoxicated. I mean, that's just those are the college years, you know. You drink. That's what you, you do. Movies. You drink. You watch movies, and I I want to say like I think. The coolest thing about this movie is that Tarantino somehow over the course of his entire career, this movie still is cool. It's way more complex in so many ways than his first few films. Um, You know, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, those are complex films in their own regard. And Pulp Fiction really ushered in like a whole thing. But it's every like if there are if there are 50 aspects and this is just for argument's sake if there are 50 aspects to making a film when tarantino made pulp fiction he was he made a great film and he was firing on maybe 30 of those 50 but 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 everything from the writing to the the direction made that 30 points into a fucking great film. Hollywood is firing on like 49 and a half fucking points. Like everything is tuned in, turned up and dialed in. I just got goosebumps. I love watching great artists and great makers, great performers. Me Me fucking. too, man. And like to have Pulp Fiction is a classic thing. And it's, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. 30 yeah. years ago, almost. Yeah. And like to watch a filmmaker adapt and to make a modern looking film about a bygone era and I don't know, just growth and change and adaptation and ascension and growth. I just, I love it. I love process. Yeah. You know what I did last night? What's that? I watched Inside the Actor's Studio of Robert Redford <laughs> with a glass of wine. Brad you know Pitt, what I, Dad. you want to know what I did the night before? What's that? I watched Inside the Actor's Studio Paul Newman with a glass of wine. Oh, yeah. I'm in a thing. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid at the studio. I fucking love talking about process, okay? Yeah. It's everything. I love it. I fucking it, it, love it. It's everything. And, and you know... It, I'm excited because what we we talked about this 
Um, I can't remember. It wasn't Jackie Brown, even though that's the only other Tarantino film that we've done. It it wasn't Jackie Brown that we talked about this. It was something else. But I I'm hopeful that the tenth Tarantino film will be set in modern times. I you've said that before. You've said that before. Like QT. If you listen to this and I'm going to like I'm going to find a way to like make sure on some fucking social media platform that you get tagged or direct messaged this episode. But the point being is you've gone through such great lengths to create a universe with your red apple cigarettes and you've changed history and Hitler died early and the Manson murders never happened. Fucking show me what 2022-23 fucking looks like. Without without 9-11? In your fucking world. Show me what we're looking at now. What what are you... Please, God, tell me what you're fucking thinking, man. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want. I want to see something set today so that we can see the vision that you're... What are you trying to say? About what the you you set the stage, you've told us the prerequisites for the story. Okay, the 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 slave wins, right? Like in Django, and and you get this moment where you realize that like you feel like maybe 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 that they rise up and there is a rebellion and it actually works and or maybe reconstruction works and isn't squashed out by Jim Crow maybe that's what we're talking about in Django and then you get to bastards and maybe Hitler dies and all these innocent people don't die and all these wonderful people don't die what do we get out of the world if that doesn't happen right and then you get to Hollywood. What happens if the Manson murders don't happen? What happens if to this day people can stand on the side of the road with their thumb up and go home? And, and you could show which direction you were going and, and go, they home. go home. How much gas would we save? How many bus fares would we save? How much community would we fucking build if we picked up our brothers and sisters? Because we felt it was safe. Because the reality is, is that statistically, it is fucking safe. Statistically, it's safe. But if you watch the news, it's not safe. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, show me the world you're trying to paint here, Q. Please. Am I voting not, for... Wait, wait, wait. Quentin, not Q. I take that back. I don't want to call you Q. That's some fucked up weird shit. Quentin, show me the world you're painting, Quentin. Go ahead. Chase. Am I am I voting for Quentin Tarantino or you in the fall? Probably me. Hey, by the way, I realized I can run for president in the next cycle. I'm old enough. By the time I'd be sworn in, I would be 35 years old. I'll turn 35 on November 17th, 2000 and whatever the year is before I get sworn in. If I was to run for president, 25. Can I still be on the speech writing staff? Yes, let's fucking do it. Let's start it now. I'm gonna launch it. I'm running for fucking president. Let's All do right, it. new new podcast. We're gonna watch the West Wing from the beginning. Pod save, pod save Jamaica. That's the name of our podcast. It's about the West Wing. Somehow it makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. 
Oh, God. This has been a good time. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers, friend. To the birds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs>